Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, everybody, to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we explain how everything has a history, even the most unexpected of subjects, like avocados, Beach and mint. And we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, that the history of chairs is in fact all about social control in Tudor England, or that the history of insects is all about warfare in World War Two? The man not sitting opposite me because we're social distance. He will help pilot us through these micro-histories. He's one of the country's leading professors of history. It's Professor Extraordinaire James Daybell. Hello, Sam. And the man not sitting opposite me because we are in these dim, dark times of lockdown and ably helping me co-pilot these episodes is the famous historical adventurer himself, Dr Sam Willis. This is the second of our micro-histories in which we embrace the task of demonstrating how an unexpected subject not only has a history, but is massively important and interesting in just 15 minutes. Now, we start with a shared example and then have just five minutes each to make a case for an interesting history on that very unexpected subject. Contributions will be rigorously timed. They will be rigorously timed. And you, our dear listeners, you will get to vote on social media on what you think was the most interesting fact that you heard today. Today's topic is the fabulously artistic history of tattoos. Right, James, where do we start? Well, Sam, we were inspired to do this episode by our book on the Romans. So let's start there. And in particular, let's start with tattoos as a way of marking slaves and soldiers. Take it away, Sam. One of the ways in which the Romans demonstrated their cultural and military dominance was to indelibly and physically mark different categories of people within the empire. This included slaves, soldiers, and also people who made military equipment. Tattooing rather than branding appears to have been the most common technique to make this permanent mark. But branding was mainly um, reserved to indicate ownership of horses rather than people. Some of the best evidence of this practice we have comes from the prose work Satirica by the author Petronius, which features the figure of a narrator, Enculpius, a retired gladiator, and his lover and slave, Giton. The two men have been involved in affairs which have turned sour and find themselves aboard a ship with their former partners, Lycus, who owns the vessel, and a matron, Tryphena, who is a fellow passenger. Now, feeling trapped by the situation, there's a comic discussion between Enculpius and Giton about how they might escape, either through suicide or through disguising themselves as slaves. In the end, they plump for the latter, which involves a manservant shaving their heads and eyebrows. And then Aeomolpus, a poet, suggests a plan involving ink he has on board. 
for writing. What he does, he says this, I will mark your faces with an elaborate inscription to give the impression that you have been punished with a mark. That way, the same letters will both allay the suspicions of your pursuers and hide your faces with the appearance of punishment. Agreeing to his plan, we then know that Aeomolpus filled the foreheads of us both with huge letters and with generous hand covered our whole faces. So they are, James, marking the faces of slaves with tattoos as a mark of ownership and escape. Ah, love it. Well, while tattooing was commonly used to mark property, this use of needles and ink on the skin was also employed as a form of penal punishment within Roman society, as it had indeed been done by the Greeks. Not only could slaves be tattooed for ownership, but also as a form of punishment. We also see in a story told by Valerius Maximus how a slave belonging to the tribune Attius Restio is punished with, and I quote, penalty of chains and with the greatest disgrace to his face, branded with an indelible mark of letters, so that he was nothing but the shadow and image of his own penalties. Now, clever philologists debate whether this actually refers to branding or is actually tattooing that is being referred to here, although it's most likely the latter. But in either case, the point is the same. It is marking out shame, these scars on the face of a slave in this manner. Now, tattooing was also used to punish and mark criminals, which was another way in which Roman authorities asserted their dominance. According to the Roman historian Suetonius, in his Lives of the Caesar, the Emperor Caligula, and I quote, had many of the better sort first defaced by the marks of tattoos and then condemned them to the mines and the paving of roads. And a legal code from the time of Constantine, 272 CE to 337 CE, stated that a person sentenced to become a gladiator should not be tattooed on the face, but on the hands or calves, so that the face which had been formed in the image of divine beauty, should be defiled as little as possible. So while tattooing the face, head, arms and hands and calves as well, legs were important, that was a mark of degradation for slaves, soldiers and workers in weapons factories in particular. Uh, Other peoples in the ancient world covered their bodies in decorative tattoos like the Thracians and the Scythians. And to the Romans, this decoration was the mark of an inferior civilization, a civilization over whom the Romans could assert their dominance. A very uh, powerful example of this is a, a, a fragment of skin that was discovered uh, frozen beneath the tundra of Central Asia. It was the remains of a Scythian warrior and it shows his tattoo. It's still there. Designs of a fantastical creature locked in combat um, and images of birds also punctured onto the arms, legs and torsos of the Scythians. Um, the interesting fact here that given that their bodies were often covered in heavy clothing to protect them from the elements, it's unlikely that they were actually regularly revealed. James. Inevitably, because it's associated with enslavement and punishment and non-Roman peoples, the removal of tattoos features prominently in Roman sources. The Roman doctor Attius, for example, describes the process of tattooing as pricking the places with needles, wiping away the blood and rubbing in first juice of leek and then the preparation 
which would have been a form of ink, before he offers a vivid description of how to remove them, and he outlines two different preparations, one using lime and sodium carbonate, the other pepper and the herb rue and also honey for use in the procedure, prescribing the following, and I quote, When applying, first clean the tattoos with nitre, Smear them with resin of tearbinth and bandage for five days. On the sixth, prick the tattoos with a pin, sponge away the blood and then spread a little salt on the pricks. Then, after an interval, apply the aforesaid prescription and cover it with a linen bandage. Leave on for five days and on the sixth, smear on some of the prescription. After twenty days, he continues, the tattoos will have disappeared without ulceration or scar. So there we have it, Sam. Tattoos in ancient Rome were all about imperial dominance, superiority and social control. Oh, very good. Well, where do we go for here? I'm going to take you somewhere interesting. James, prepare me for my five minutes. Are you ready? (laughs) I certainly (laughs) am, Sam. Five minutes. Here we go. And start... Uh, now, <laughs> without just talking faster, I want to take you to uh, the Pacific Islands and look at this idea of tattoos as a flashpoint for conflict. So in the Pacific Islands in the first quarter of the 19th century, where Christian missionaries have travelled there in a bid to bring their religion uh, to far-flung parts of the British Empire, to inspire locals with Christian tradition, uh, Christian morals, and to build churches. It's interesting here because there was... A real conflict between the uh, traditions of the Pacific Islanders that embrace tattoos and Christian missionaries who try and ban it. In fact, they try to declare the practice extinct. And even in Tahiti, they flayed tattooed skin in an attempt to enforce their ban on this local practice. So we've got suppression by Christian missionaries here. But in response, there's uh, an interesting practice of native people staging tattoo rebellions almost to assert their own sovereignty fascinating description here from Favel L.B. Mortimer. She's a fascinating person in her own right. I'll mention her briefly. But she's writing anonymously for the American Tract Society to honour the 40th anniversary of the Tahitian mission in 1836. Very strange punishments, she writes, were sometimes inflicted on offenders. In the island of Raita, two deep pits were once dug on the side of a hill, which was about 15 feet deep and was smaller at the top than at the bottom, so that it appeared impossible to climb up the sides. A woman who had run away from her husband and got herself tattooed was put in one of these pits and the man who tattooed her in the other. They were told they must remain there till they asked forgiveness and promised to return to their duty. While they continued in the pits, they were fed on a little breadfruit and water. At the end of two days, some loose earth falling upon the woman, she thought a spirit was coming to torment her. And by making very great efforts, she contrived to escape from her prison and returning home, asked her husband to forgive her, which he willingly did. It may be thought hard by some that people were not allowed to be tattooed or to tattoo others, but the chiefs had forbidden these practices for very wise reasons. They knew that God in his word was has commanded men not to make cuttings in their flesh, and they also found that when the natives chose to be tattooed, they soon returned to many of their old heathen habits. 
ill-disposed young people were very determined in their resolution to be tattooed and would have one limb after another thus marked in spite of a punishment after each offence. So some fascinating history here. What we have, and the mention of tattoo, of flaying as well, is interesting. It's an act so extreme that it violates the principles of Christianity and civil society. And yet those people representing civil society and Christianity embrace it because those tattoos were such a powerful marker of Tahitian ways. Um, notice the it's a bit of hypocrisy in her quote. She talks about beautiful patterns, but then later when she mentions uh, removing them, talks about how they make way for foul blotches. And this lady is an interesting character. She was something of a literary superstar in her time. And she wrote a book called Peep of the Day that was immensely popular. Over 500,000 copies of the original edition uh, were issued. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, and she spent a lot of time writing uh, about children's, writing children's books as well, and never really travelled. So I think historians have to be quite careful about what she says in terms of Tahiti. Um, the rebellion is interesting and in how that actually worked. With covering the body with European clothing um, was one way in actually helping to suppress the visibility of these tattoos. And so did narratives that proclaimed, like hers, like this this one I've just read out, that proclaimed that the tattoo had, in fact, been halted, erased or removed. When, in fact, historians now believe that there was a process of rebellion underground which kept this business of tattooing very much alive. So you need to be suspicious if you read accounts that say all tattooing ended in the 1830s for about a century and a half, because it didn't. It carried on um, secretly, often out of sight. It's also worth going back to the beginning, to the earliest descriptions of Tahitian tattooing, uh, provided by Joseph Banks, who travelled... What was that? What was that? I'm stopped. Well, Sam, that was a man called James Henry Weir, who was born in 1892 and lived in Kenford in Devon. And I found this on the British Library Sounds Oral History Archive. And this is a farmer talking about the production of cider, which I thought, <laughs> I thought, you, would, which I thought you would like. Very Ooh, good. Anyway, I, when you've been, you been making it, you still have a sentence, don't you? To finish. I was going to finish my sentence. Let me just go. I was going to say that there are wonderful descriptions from Captain Cook's um, voyages. Um, in 1769, Joseph Banks actually recorded the first ever descriptions of tattoos. So there you go. Tattoos are actually all about exploration, Christian missionaries in the 19th century, the legal history of skin, cultural sovereignty and imperialism and the secret culture of survival. Oh, my gosh. I love that one, Sam. I love that one. Well, start the clock now because I think I'm going to be under the five minutes. So you may not have time. To, <laughs> you may not have time to play your sound. However, uh, 
I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction uh, for tattoos, and I'm going to travel to the 16th century, surprisingly enough, because that was, is a period that I find, uh, I find I'm very much at home. Uh, many of my ideas are drawn from there. And my example shows us that tattoos are, in fact, all about dreams, magic, alchemy, and the Elizabethan mathematician, astrologer and alchemist John Dee. And we've visited John Dee uh, in the past in some, of our, in some of our episodes. We've looked at him, I think, in dreams and we've looked at him when looking at, at children and some of the topics on the family. He kept a diary, uh, which is a really brilliant sort of insight into not only his family life, but also into his world. Now, John Dee was born in 1527 and he lived quite a long, uh, ripe old life to uh, 1608. Um, and famously, he was the court astronomer and advisor to Elizabeth I. And he's a man who was interested in the occult, interested in alchemy, interested in hermetic philosophy. He was also an antiquarian. And he had one of the largest libraries in England at the time. And there is a brilliant book by Bill Sherman on John Dee's library. He's also a political advisor, as I said. And he is somebody who's very much pro uh, the English colonies in the New World. And he's one of those sort of people who's a great supporter of this and advisor to Elizabeth I. However, I want to sort of just backtrack and connect this to uh, tattoos, because I want to start with an extract from John Dee's diaries, and in particular to an entry that he made on the 10th of September, 1579. He said that he had had a dream of being naked, and my skin all overwrought with work, like some kind of tuft Mikado, with crosses blue and red, and on my left arm, about the arm, in a wreath, this word I read, sine minihil potestis facare, and another, the same night of Mr. Secretary, Walsingham, Mr. Candish, and myself. So he meets these sort of political figures. Uh, we know from other podcasts, as I've said, that John Dee's diaries include several descriptions of dreams of things that he found particularly interesting. Um, he often recorded uh, dreams alongside major events. So he, um, you know, and things like uh, deaths and births within the household. Uh, as well as uh, events at court, sort of meeting aristocratic patrons, meeting the Queen herself. Um, but turning to this dream in particular, I want to just sort of unpack it a little. Uh, so he describes himself marked or tattooed all over his body with blue and red crosses. His skin, uh, he says, was, it looked like a tuft Mikado, uh, which basically that, that refers to a sort of type of patterned wool, a bit like velvet. So imagine it's sort of a, a patterned wool. So almost like the sort of um, the tattoos that you were talking about of the, the ancient Britons uh, and the Celts, sort of almost like a sort of wody tattoo. And then we have the Latin uh, inscription on it. And this comes from the Bible, of course, words spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 17, verses uh, 4 to 5, and it means, without me ye can do nothing. 
So we've got the sort of the codes that we're reading here. But also, what about the meaning of tattoos to D himself? How do we understand that? How might he have... How might we explain these nocturnal subconscious wanderings? What factors might have influenced him? And there are a few likely influences. The first, it, the first thing that's important is to know that he is a practitioner of the occult arts. I've already said he's an alchemist, he's an astrologer, and part and parcel of that kind of practice is a familiarity with inking or inscribing the skin as a sort of form of uh, magical practice. <laughs> Your five minutes is up, James. My God, I thought I had. A, I thought I'd been talking for about. <laughs> I thought I'd been talking for about two minutes. What was that I was hearing? That was a traditional Tahitian war dance uh, going back many, many centuries. A bit Aha! of a soundscape from uh, Captain Cook arriving in Tahiti for you there. But you were allowed your last sentence, and you can conclude. Okay, I will conclude very shortly in a mini paragraph. So, uh, so inscribing yourself, tattoos were an important part of astrology. Um, so he would have known this. He'd have also known history and the the sort of the ancient world and Picts tattooing themselves. And also he would have come across people from the new world who would have been tattooed. So there we are, a couple of sentences there. Uh, tattoos are an actual fact about the dream world of the Elizabethan astrologer and mathematician John Dee. They're about alchemy, voyaging and indigenous peoples of the Arctic. <laughs> Which very, I didn't have a chance to talk about. However, had I talked about it, I would have talked about this one uh, woman who was captured uh, from the Arctic uh, on Frobisher's uh, voyage. Uh, she came back uh, to Bristol and before she died, uh, several artists managed to paint her and Ooh. her body was covered with tattoos, uh, blue dots across her cheeks and lines on her on her cheek. We should get an image of that and put it up on Facebook and Twitter for everyone. um, Definitely. uh, Instagram. I hope you enjoyed that, guys. We are about to actually launch a new um, series of micro Christmas micro-histories, aren't we, James? We certainly are. um, Things with Christmas themes. uh, We should be starting in a couple of days on the history of bad luck. Uh, Do please uh, follow us uh, uh, on social media. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. And I'm at James Dable. And the pod is at Unexpected Pod. And you can follow everything that we get up to at our brilliant website, historiesoftheunexpected.com. Well, there are more micro-histories, but of course, much lengthier ones where we chat for hours and hours and hours about all sorts of things. I hope you've enjoyed it. It was a bit of fun. Speak soon, guys. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.